1: I think it's fair enough to say that you all know my next guest on the show today. She's become a household name, not by choice, but circumstances, since the cervical check crisis broke in April 2018. Vicky Phelan has become an inspiration to many who find themselves the victims of a state where there appears to be no accountability. She's recently released a memoir aptly named Overcoming, and she's on the line now. Vicky, Good afternoon.
0: Hi there, Jerry. How are you?
1: I'm very good. Thank you so much for taking our call. Do you know my mother used to say, you think you know someone? And <laughs> after reading this book, that's how I exactly feel about you. Do you know something? There was a book in you before all this. Do you realise that?
0: Oh, absolutely. It had actually been said to me a few times by uh, some of my friends ever before last year happened. Um So, you know, I remember last year uh, when I was after doing primetime with Mary McCallaghan, we were in the green room afterwards chatting, you know, and uh, Miriam asked me a question that a lot of people had asked me up to that point, like, you know, how are you so strong, Vicky? And I said, sure, you know, this isn't the worst thing that has happened to me. And I remember her being gobsmacked and she said, what do you mean this is not the worst thing that's happened to you? And I said, well, you know, there's been this and that you know and i went through a couple of the things that have happened between my own accident my daughter's accident you know her being yeah. diagnosed a rare condition and she said to me oh my god vicky you have to write a book and i said yeah i know everyone keeps saying that she said, no seriously you have to write a book and she kind of said it to me in such a way that she said, look wouldn't it be lovely for your children and that was what made me kind of you know the push i needed really you know to do it
1: and one of those many things which i hope to uh, touch on a few of uh, a few of over the next while and I'll just quote you on this. You say that postnatal depression was worse than cancer.
0: Yeah, 100%. And, uh, you know, I remember watching Majella O'Donnell, Daniel O'Donnell's wife, on the Late Late Show, probably during one of my periods, uh, you know, really bad depression. And I remember her saying that on the show. And I thought, I remember being taken aback going, Jesus. Because I remember thinking at the time, and this is before I had cancer, um, you know, thinking this was, uh, you know, awful that I just could not get out of my head I, that like anyone who has gone through depression will understand what I'm talking about at least with cancer you know when you're not depressed you're dealing with physical issues Um, yes it's horrible you know you have a lot of pain you, you, you nausea um, and in my situation at the moment I don't know you know how long I have left but I'll tell you I take it any day over depression Jerry, because at least I can function I'm happy I'm enjoying my life with my kids and my family and my friends when you're depressed you just—I literally was going to bed at eight o'clock most nights just to get out of my head, just to sleep, uh, because I could not—you know—the thoughts in my head were just constantly racing and really black, you know. So it's—it's—it's it's, it's an awful, an awful disease to be honest, really is. And I definitely think for me it was worse than cancer.
1: My word, you have certainly crystallised PND for me, listening to you today, and I'm sure many others that could never, you know, explain it in the, in the words and context you put it there. But tell me this: how did it? Did it pass Or how did you get over it
0: Um, Well no It doesn't pass You actually have to deal And this is the thing That I I kind of thought Like and so did my mother You know my mother thought Asher you know It'll it'll go eventually And it didn't uh, Jerry. like It just got worse And that's what Mm. I'd say to people You know You think Asher It's the baby blues It's not If you have really bad Postnatal depression It's not going to go Without help and that's what I learned, you know, and the first time it happened, you know, after my first child, it was really bad because i it's not that I ignored it. I just didn't realize that it was such, uh, you know, it was so bad and, and that it wouldn't go away. So I had to address it and I had to go to the doctor. And, you know, I tried the medication and it didn't work for me the first time around. I just felt like more of a zombie when I was on the medication. So I came off it. Um, but I tried everything. I did exactly what I do with everything in my life. I read up on it and I thought, right, a lot of women. And I joined a support group online, which I found fantastic because I couldn't afford counselling um, at the time and a lot of people are in that boat um, and I found a great forum online which where women were sharing their own experiences and saying what worked for them and that's where I found a lot of advice very useful so I started running and running to be honest was my saviour I was literally like Forrest Gump I was running every day um, sometimes twice a day if it was really bad and it definitely helped because the exercise boosts your endorphins, which helps deal with, you know, the, the, your, your balance out your hormones and your, your the serotonin levels, which is what happens with depression. So I did that. I did acupuncture. I had a light box. I bought a light box for light box therapy. Um, I And I made myself, and this is a hard thing to do when you're depressed, I really forced myself to get out and meet people and go and meet my friends, even though I didn't want to, because I always felt better afterwards. So, you know, there's, there's lots of things that people can try, um, but I have to say the second time round when I came back, I went—I I had to give in to the medication and try it again because it was quite bad um, after my son was born. And uh, the medication, obviously, that was a good few years later. It was much better. There were these new SSRIs, mm. they're called, um, selective serotonin, something or other. Um, and I tried those and I have to say I didn't have the same side effects as I had first time round. And I stayed on the medication for two years and it definitely made a difference that time. Now, I still did the running and I still did all the other stuff, but the medication was much better second time round. Thank
1: you for talking about it, Vicky. And people are probably saying, what are you at, Cherry? She's on for another reason altogether, but this is Mental (laughs) Health Awareness Week. You know that anyway. Exactly,
0: I do, I do. And I really think we need to talk about these things more. And I particularly think with postnatal depression... A lot of women feel guilty. I mean, I I know in in my case, when my daughter was born, you know, she was born with a rare condition. You know, all of the focus was on her because she was a very sick child. We were up and down to Crumlin every six weeks. I was in the hospital with her locally three times a week. I mean, it was horrendous. But, I mean, I had been through a traumatic pregnancy with her. I'd lost an awful lot of weight because I was on a huge amount of medication before she was born. And nobody was looking at me. And I remember thinking, feeling sorry for myself, but at the same time feeling this guilt going, but, you know, she's the sick child. Why do I feel like this? But you can't stop those feelings, you know what I mean? If you feel like that, they're valid. And that's often what I say to women. You know, it it is very valid to feel resentment towards your child and uh, feel that, you know... N- there's a lack of support there for women after they have babies. The support is there for the babies, mm. and you have your checkup, but there's no follow-up as to see how women are getting on mentally because it's you know it's traumatic. Even a normal pregnancy can be traumatic if you have a lot of stitches afterwards, or if you're not feeling quite well after it. You know, and you're sore. It takes a long time for your body to come back. And nobody really talks about this stuff. Jerry. Yeah. So, you know, I, I, I just think if, if we started talking about it more and accept that, you know, it, it's OK not to feel OK after having a baby, I think we'd be a much Better uh, for
1: us, you know. I want to mirror what Miriam said to you. Get cracking on that next book. You have it there now. There's no bother. <laughs> just get away. You go, and 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 it's assured again to be a, a winner for you. You said something there in the in in the course of that discussion that links in with you know this whole thing with the cervical mm. check and you becoming prominent in, in the public domain. You said that you couldn't afford the counselling and roll that on to today and recently for you public versus private scans you pay privately to be scanned for this cancer and yet there are women still today on the public system that won't be scanned for what months
0: exactly yeah i mean it's and that's why i weighed in on that at the weekend because you know jerry i'm in a situation i can afford to pay for scans i couldn't before all of this happened you know and and most people can't afford to pay for scans because it's four or five hundred euros. Um, And, you know, some people have private health insurance, which will pay for that. But most people don't. Um, And at the end of the day, you know, if you're in a situation where you're in, you know, at high risk of recurrence for your particular cancer, you know, you should be getting the the scans that you you need. You shouldn't have to be fighting for it, you know, and and that is because the difference between getting scanned regularly and then picking it up and not getting scanned is what happened to me, really. You know, I mean, I hadn't had a scan for two and a half years by the time my cancer came back and. 2017 and I had no symptoms and I remember, apart from back pain and I kept continuously, I, I looked back at my file just to see, you know, was I imagining it, uh, but it was every appointment I went to, it was noted my lower back pain. But that was ignored. They kept telling me, oh, shit, that's just, you know, the effects of the radiation treatment I had because I had so much radiation to my pelvic area that that can, you know, lead to pain. Yeah. Um, but nobody at any point ever thought, oh, hang on a minute for, you know, this lady is at high risk of recurrence, up to 70% now, Jerry, And they knew this. You know, maybe we should send her for a scan. Do you know what I'm saying? Because my, yes. my cancer travelled up my body so no matter how many internal exams I was going to have they would never have felt the tumour because it was after growing further up my body. So you know the thing is you know if you're at a high risk of recurrence for, for your particular type of cancer you should be having the scans and you should not have to fight for them.
1: I just endorse 110% everything you you said there. Listen to this message that's just come to me for you. Vicky is my absolute inspiration. It's just come in on WhatsApp. I've just finished her book. I never read books, but I simply couldn't put it down, Jerry. I'm not very religious, so I ask Vicky for guidance every morning. What this country has done to over 200 women is an absolute disgrace. It makes me so mad and angry to think of those unnecessary... Deaths and suffering for ladies and their families. Vicky, you are our hero," says Michelle Howard. Thank you, Michelle. What a lovely, lovely Aww, comment that, you, is. Yeah, that is. That so is so nice. And you know
0: what, Jerry? It's messages like that that drive me on. To be honest, you know, mm. I mean, I'm doing what I'm doing to help people of this country, normal people like myself. You know i 'm lucky, I know that that I have a voice, and I 'm able to use it, and I'm good at doing research and I'm good at reading up on stuff, but I know there are people who can't do it and that 's why I do it, Jerry, because there are so many people out there who are struggling and who just don't know where to start with this, so you know they're the people I'm doing it for
1: When you hear what Michelle has to say there in that comment, and I'm sure that reflects an awful lot of people who've uh, seen you on television are listening to us today and heard you all over the radio do, do you hold? bitterness in your heart when you think of that scan you had in 2011 and they should have picked up on it and they didn't are you mad as hell with those people
0: not anymore i was i was jerry for a long time um but i suppose in one respect i wouldn't say that, you know my depression was a blessing in this instance but i know what that what that does to me when i start for example when my daughter had a really bad accident uh, you know six years ago and she got badly burned I went to that place I got so bitter and so angry at the world because this poor child had already had enough she'd been born with a rare condition she has a visual impairment and now she's after getting burned and had spent five weeks in hospital and I had to watch her you know crying in pain getting her dressings changed and I mean why what else would you do only feel bitterness and and resentment and anger when something like that happens to your child? But the problem with that, Jerry is that festers, and for me, I went into a really bad place uh, and I went down you know I got very badly depressed for about two years after her accident. Which I probably think led to my cancer coming back, to be honest, because, you know, there is a link between depression and cancer. I've read up a lot about this. Um, So I I can't go there, Jerry. That's the thing, you see, I cannot go back down that road again because, you know, I know what happens if I go into a, a really bad depressive period. It's very hard to come back out again. So for me, I had to channel that anger. And as soon as I started doing things to help other people and talking about this last year, I felt so much better. You know, the only way I can describe it is helping other people has helped me not to become bitter.
1: And Amelia, you mentioned there, of course, you were told at one stage, am I right here in saying this, that she may not be compatible with life even. And you went ahead and right through the pregnancy and look at this bundle of joy was born.
0: Exactly. Yeah, no, that that, that happened when we had to have... I had to have an amniocentesis when I was pregnant with her because they needed to find out whether or not this rare condition that I had contracted called toxoplasmosis was after passing into the baby because if it had passed into the baby through the amniotic fluid, well then, you know, they'd have to put me on this very strong medication and they didn't want to do that unless she was definitely infected. So when I had the amniocentesis, they found out that yes, you know, unfortunately it had passed in and, you know, she was uh you know getting uh, uh, attacked by this parasite um so i had to go on the medication but while i was having this uh, amniocentesis you know i remember the consultant saying that um you know well he, basically he kind of said well if you lived in the uk you know you could consider a termination and i said well i don't live in the uk and i'm not considering a termination at that stage i was 30 weeks pregnant and i remember looking at him going like are you telling me that this child is not compatible with life is that what you're telling me that you know when she's born you know she's not going to survive and he said, no, 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 no. And well, so why? I said to him, why I was so angry. I said, why would you say something like that? I said, clearly you can see that we're, you know, we came up here, we're trying to do everything we can to, to, you know, to save this baby. Why, why would you say something like that? And, and you know, I, I, I just couldn't believe it. You know, couldn't believe that somebody would say this.
1: and uh, the rest is history and thank god you have a loving daughter and son may i say as well (coughs) a couple of things that i I just can't miss because you know time here it'll just run away from us and i can talk to you all day to be honest with you (coughs) but here's the thing a couple of things i wanted to ask you do you have Mm. confidence in cervical check what do you say to women listening today
0: um, we're getting there. That's what I would say to people today, Gerry. Uh, we still have a long way to go. But I mean, you know, one of the reasons I'm still, you know, working on this is because, I, you know, I have a 14 year old daughter. She's just had her HPV vaccine last year when she was in first year. You know, the, the problem with cervical cancer is it it, it can be hereditary. So, you know, the likelihood is that she could be at high risk of of developing it because I've had it. So, I mean, I have an absolute vested interest in making sure that this program is foolproof and that it is the best program that we can have. Because, you know, Jerry. also in my condition, I may not be here to see my daughter have her smears, you know, because she won't be having smears until she's 25. And I don't know if I'm going to be here at that stage. And that there is nothing better, not better, There's nothing that drives me more to make sure that we have a cervical screening program that we can trust than that. You know, I want to make sure that if I'm not going to be here, that my daughter is going to be well looked after. That's the reality. And myself and Stephen Teep and Lorraine Walsh, the two other patient advocates who are working on this with me, you know, we are doing an awful lot of work in the background that people don't see. You know, Stephen and Lorraine attend a lot of committee meetings. We do a lot of work in the background on the phones, uh, you know, reading up and uh, you know, Gabriel Scalley would be in touch with us quite a lot because, you know, the 12 months post his uh, report, you know, he is still heavily involved in making sure that all of his recommendations mm. are implemented. So we're getting there, Jerry, but it's 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 going to be, you know, a, a long a long road. But we are getting there. You know, we are at the point now where we've introduced the HPV vaccine for boys. Um, you know, the waiting times for smears are back up to normal waiting times. Thank God. Um, We are working on an issue now with colposcopy because the waiting times for colposcopy where women have symptoms have increased. So we're trying to deal with that at the moment. But we are getting there and, you know, we have a new head of cervical check. So, you know, there's a lot of good things that have happened and the HSE, in fairness to them, are doing an awful lot of work um, to try and make sure that they meet the uh, recommendations of the Scali report. So we are getting there, but it's going to be another you know, I would say 12 months before we can get to a point where we can say we're happy with it.
1: I, I have to say, just as you mentioned him, Gabriel Scally's report was one of the most defining and monumental reports. We've had many tribunals and reports in the country, but that one is outstanding. How are you? How are you? You're on Pembro. Are you looking beyond that? Is, is there anything beyond that that you can look at, uh, Vicky?
0: Oh, yes, absolutely. Uh, I mean, I have a backup plan. Um, there is another... Uh, trial drug that I can go on if this stops working because, you know, unfortunately with the Pembro the likelihood is this is not going to cure me Um, because uh, when I had my tumours tested uh, for this drug I tested about 65 to 70% positive so what that means is about 25 to 30% of my tumour will not respond to this drug and that kind of seems to have played out because I've had no shrinkage in my tumours since last August. You know, everything is stable at the moment, but there hasn't been any more shrinkage. And the worry there is that, you know, they will start growing again. Um, So I have to have backup, you know, because if this stops working, I need to get on something fairly fast. So I've already been in touch with the, um, uh, the National Institute of Health in Maryland where I was trying to get on a clinical trial before. And there's now a new drug that they are trialling at the moment, which I would be eligible for. And I've been speaking to the oncologist. So, you know, if this stops working, I could be on that drug within two weeks. So unfortunately, it would mean I'd have to go to the States. But, you know, I'd cross that bridge when I come to it. But. You know, I do have a backup. And it's it, it, for me, it's important to have that backup because it's a very scary place when you don't know if there's anything else that you can do, you know.
1: Of course, I wish you well with that. Just before we finish up, I mentioned in the introduction, no accountability uh, in mm. this country uh, on the state's behalf. Do you feel you've still been failed by the state and the other women in that you know the tribunal hasn't happened uh, cases still need to be taken rather than you know ex gratia payments being made
0: Well the ex gratia payments have been made so for women actually yes they are done uh, for a, everyone a large majority well, a large majority of the group okay. you know, have, have, yeah, so that is happening. Okay. The tribunal still has to be established. That still hasn't happened. And, I, you know, we're waiting to see what the outcome of the Supreme Court decision in Ruth Morrissey's case is going to be, I think, before that seems to be what's happening, you know, that, that the tribunal will probably be established after that rules. Um, but, yes, Jerry, we are a long way off being... Um, given answers and and given accountability. And unfortunately, in this country, we don't do accountability. And until legislation is put in place in this country to make public servants accountable, that is going to continue to be the case. Because, you know, I've worked in the public sector all my life. I know exactly the way this works, um, even though it's in a different domain in education. You know, there are people who are permanent, you know, positions and they can't be fired or left-go because of that. So we need to, you know, if we want to make changes across the board in this country to make people more accountable in positions of authority, particularly in areas like health where, you know, it's life and death matters we're talking about. You know, we need to introduce legislation to make people more accountable. And until that happens, these scandals are going to keep happening. It's as simple as that.
1: I didn't get a chance to touch on, you know, France and your love affair with France and Christophe, who was your first love who lost his life there and you were involved in an horrific accident over there as well that you could easily have lost your life with. But you know why I didn't touch on it? Because I want people to get the book.
0: I want you to go Thank out you, and Jerry.
1: get this book and buy it. You heard what Michelle said. There's lots of comment coming to us from loads of listeners. Keep it coming to us, 086 1800 658. I wanted to read a couple of these to you just before you go, so you'll understand. Sure. No, that will be lovely. In, in the Northeast, how we feel about you. Gerry Vicky Phelan is one of the greatest women in Irish history. She stood up for herself and many others, and I wish her well. It's amazing listening oh. to her today. Uh, Mary's on from the and Doc. Well, good God, fair play to you, Vicky. May God <laughs> bless you always. Hi, Jerry. As a man, says Mark, I am always in awe of the resilience of women, but Vicky is a shining beacon and an inspiration to all of us. I wish her nothing but health and happiness. And Amanda yeah, from her told, I'm only getting to a fraction of these, says, what an inspiration, Vicky Feeling You are so open. You are so honest. Thanks, Jerry, for having her on your wonderful show. Thanks indeed for that lovely comment there, Amanda. And so on and so on they go. May I say from my own personal point of view, from a distance, I've admired you so much. And it's been a real pleasure to talk to you one-to-one on my show this afternoon, Vicky.
0: Uh, thank you, Jerry. It's so nice to talk to you. I love doing the regional radio shows because you know why? Because it, it is the normal Irish Joe Soaps and Jane Soaps of the country who... I am doing this for because, you know, I'm just a normal mother. People think I'm, you know, this, you know, amazing woman. I'm not. You know, I'm just after bringing my son home from school, getting him ready now to go out the door for Gaelic football. And, you know, that you know, they're the important things in this in this life, you know what I mean, to be able to do the normal things and for me to be able to help other women and other families to, to get a quality of life, particularly with this type of cancer, and to get accountability and to get answers, you know, that's what it means to me, you know. To, to be able to live my life and and do the normal things with my children. And I know how much that means to everybody.
1: May you live it for a long, long time to come. The book is called Overcoming by Vicky Phelan. It's available right round the country now in bookshops. Go get it. It's a wonderful, wonderful read. Vicky, thank you for thanks taking time today to talk to us. Thanks very much. Thank you. Not at all. God bless you. Take care. Now, Vicky Phelan, they're speaking to us on Late Lunch this afternoon.